You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome into NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and thanks for listening. I'm Nick Ferguson, and with me is Willie Cologne. On today's podcast, we'll hear from former lineman Chester Pitts, and we will talk and break down the scenario with Tara Owens and whether he thinks he still can play in the NFL or not. But we're going to open today's podcast with Hall of Fame quarterback Kurt Warner. We have the great Kurt Warner in the building. How you doing, Kurt? I am doing well. How are you guys? Hey, it's great, man. Thank you for jumping on. Uh, let's jump right into it. You've been inducted into the Hall of Fame. Talk about that and what it meant to you and your family. Well, I mean, pretty, uh, pretty amazing. Um, you know, you, you play your whole career and, and you have a crazy journey like I did that uh, so much of it was just about hoping to get an opportunity and um, try to take advantage of it if it did come. Um, you know, although you grow up dreaming to be a Hall of Famer, there was a lot of stops along the way where that was about the farthest thing from my mind, and it was just about wanting to play this game, play this game that I loved, and then uh, to get that opportunity uh, and even you know bounce around like I did and get another opportunity in Arizona uh, and, and to think it would end up in Canton uh, is, is pretty surreal. And, you know, I'm still not really sure how it happened. I'm not really sure – how I fit in uh, to the Hall of Fame. Uh, but I appreciate the platform and appreciate the position, and I'm going to try to live up to what it means to be a Hall of Famer, and uh, I'm going to try to use it to, to impact and inspire other people. Kurt, Nick Ferguson here. You know, Congratulations once again on uh, your career and being nominated and going into the Hall. Uh, with that being said, you, like myself, have spent some time and NFL Europe, you were there in 1998. Uh, Break this down for me, because what I've seen out of the past couple of years of the quarterbacks coming out of college, a lot of those guys are are not prepared for the next level. And I know that you spent a lot of time, you know, working with some of those guys on, you know, the expectations, uh, the mechanics. Uh, But but talk to us about how important uh, was it for you to play in NFL Europe and your development, and more so, how important is it for the league to develop some kind of other league? Maybe in the spring. I don't know when they, you know, bring this league out, but uh, the using that league to help develop younger players and not just quarterbacks. Yeah, I mean, I think the bottom line is, is when you go back and, and look at you know the big picture, you realize the only way to really get better as a football player is to play. You can say all you want about practice and teaching, and those things are great. And, of course, you can, you know, you can make improvements, uh, get better technically in practice. But, but the biggest thing is you've got to play. You've got to have experience. You've got to see things. You've got to be able to react in two or three seconds. You know, I tell people quite often, you know, when I went, came from college and, and went to Green Bay's camp as a free agent and then got cut by Green Bay, you know, a lot of people look at it and like, man, he wasn't good enough. And, and uh, you know, he got cut there and he maybe never gets another opportunity to play and, and all of that stuff. And from the moment I was cutting Green Day until the moment I retired, Brett Favre didn't miss a single start in the National Football League. Mm. And so Brett was obviously the quarterback in Green Bay at the time. So had I made the team there, 
who knows when I would have seen the field, if ever. Instead, I get cut. I go play arena football where I play for three years. Then I go play a year in Europe before I get my, my other shot with the Rams. So I probably played, without question, I played more snaps than any backup quarterback uh, played in that period of time. I got to face so many different situations. I got to hone my skills. I played arena football where, as a quarterback, you threw every down. You were expected to score every time you touched the ball. There was no greater training ground uh, than the experiences that I had. Then I got back on the big field. And on the big field, you know, you had to show that you could make all the throws. You had to play the game a little bit different. But, again, playing games. I was playing so many games during that period of time that I became such a better quarterback uh, than I was when I went to camp in Green Bay. So when I showed up with the Rams um, in 98, I was prepared and ready to play for when my opportunity came a year later. Um, You know, so many of these guys, as you said, they come out of college in a system that doesn't relate to the NFL, um, that ever hasn't really ever been asked to play the game the way you're going to ask them to play in the NFL. And there's no way for them to get better than just playing practice when they get a chance to get a couple reps because the starter's not getting any reps. They need to play football. They need to get those experiences. So I'm fully with you that something needs to be created. Something needs to be designed so these guys – uh, can get prepared and play. I mean, I just look back at NFL Europe now, and, and I'm sure there's more, but I think a guy, Brad Johnson, played in a Super Bowl. Jake DeLome played in the Super Bowl. I played in NFL Europe. I, I got a chance to play in three Super Bowls. I mean, they were getting experience, key experience over there that ended up parlaying into great experience and great opportunities and success at the NFL level. We need something else like that. Briefly, Kirk, uh, Matthew Stafford, five years, $135 million. Talk about the quarterbacks and their contracts today, and do you see the market going up? I mean, I, you know, I think it's one of those things that as, as a league progresses, as anything progresses, uh, the salaries progress as well. And so I, I would assume that they're going to continue to go up as long as teams can manage their caps and, and still find ways to be successful with those dollars. Um, you know, I mean, the, the thing about Matthew is that he's accomplished a great deal in the NFL. You know, the hard thing that I always have with these big contracts is that what I know in the NFL is you need a championship quarterback to compete for championships. And I don't know if Matt's that guy or not, but up to this point he hasn't shown that he can take his team deep into the playoffs and compete for championships. And so – um you know, these teams get in tough situations where it's, okay, do we pay a guy that we're not sure is a championship quarterback but is much better than most of the stuff out there? Or do we let this guy go that we know is much better than most guys in hopes that we can find another championship quarterback when there's only a handful of those guys on the entire planet? Um, and that's where the big dilemma comes in. And, you know, I'm happy for Matt. Uh, he's done so many great things that he's earned – that contract. Uh, the question just becomes at the end of the day, will the Lions be happy with that contract if it never parlays itself into deep playoff runs or a championship? Kurt, I know you've got to go, but I know you have a, a charity or a program that you got going on with U.S. Cellular uh, expiring the most valuable coaches. Can you talk about that and what that program means and what you're doing uh, with your efforts? Exactly. We are asking people to go to our website, themostvaluablecoach.com, and nominate their favorite or most impactful high school coach. Any sport, not just football, any sport, 
and, and we're trying to encourage uh, these unbelievable coaches we have in this country that give their time and their effort to our next generation and are having a, an incredible positive impact upon them. Uh, so often these coaches do great things and they never really get recognized. Very few of our high school athletes have the wherewithal to, to go over and thank their coaches and, and tell them what they're doing well or what kind of impact they had. It usually comes years and years later. So this program is to inspire, you know, players, uh, you know, other coaches, uh, parents to get on our website and, and nominate a coach uh, that's doing some incredible things. So if nothing else, I mean, the grand prize is a $50,000 uh, donation to the charity of their choice or to their school athletic department, which is unbelievable. But more importantly, it's to encourage these coaches to keep doing what you're doing. You're having an incredible impact uh, on the young men and women that you're coaching, uh, on the families that, that you have and you're a part of. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. So it's our way to be able to, to pat them on the back and encourage them uh, with all the great things that they're doing so they can continue to inspire our next generation. Kurt, final question uh, for me. Uh, we know the Cleveland Browns have had a laundry list of quarterbacks that come through there, and they have sacrificed a lot of uh, young quarterbacks at the same time. Hugh Jackson now hands the ball to Deshaun Kaiser. He gets to start against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Is this a little too premature to put a second-round quarterback who we haven't seen that much as far as the body of work out there against the Pittsburgh Steelers? Um, probably. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's hard for any young quarterback, no matter how good and talented they are, to step right in uh, and be expected to succeed um, or to even put them in a good position to succeed. Um, so I think it's, it's, you know, it's hard to expect that from them. Now, it doesn't mean that they can't. doesn't mean that uh, he's not talented enough to succeed. It's just a tough position to be in, and we've seen it. You know, we, we've seen some guys come in and have some early success uh, as people are trying to figure them out. But, it, you know, the sustained success is what we're really all about. And so by doing that, you need to put guys in the best position to be confident, to be confident early on, to have success early on, uh, to be able to live up to expectations early on because toughest position in sports to play, uh, tough to lead, and oftentimes comes with unrealistic expectations, yet they're still there. And fan bases and media uh, are going to expect that from this young man. Uh, and I think it's a tough position to be, to be placed in early in your career. Um, but now we sit back, and I hope that he's able to handle it well, and I hope that he's able to, uh, to create some success early. Kurt, thank you for coming on. Uh, it's a pleasure. And once again, we, uh, you, know, you, you were a quarterback who impacted a lot of people's lives, and you continue to do it uh, not only on the field but off the field. And uh, uh, congratulations on the Hall, Hall of Fame, and we hope to have you back. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Tune in puts you on the sidelines for the 2017 college football season free all year long. With college football on TuneIn, hear the home and away calls for more than 100 schools live, regular season matchups and rivalry games, conference championships and bowl games, the college football playoff in January. You can listen to it all for free. At home, on campus, or in rival territory, hear the excitement and pageantry of college football all season long, free on TuneIn. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Catch the show live weekdays from 4 to 7 Eastern Time. 
Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Nick Ferguson, and right now Willie Colon and I are going to chat with former NFL offensive lineman Chester Pitts. Chester Pitts, uh, former uh, Texan who's down in the uh, Texas area, down in Houston, who's dealing with Hurricane Harvey. Uh, Chester, thanks for joining us. How you guys doing today, man? I, I did not know. You and Nick had your own radio show. That is man. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> man, I don't know if we have our own show, but they, they let us drive for a little bit, so we're going to try not to crash this thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> hey, 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 trust me, bro. It's just like the NFL. Like it's, 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 <laughs> Every day they're looking to replace you. I, I get it. I understand. It's just, right. <laughs> Chester, we, uh, talk, talk a little bit about what's going on uh, with you first. Uh, what do you have going on? Uh, and also, if you can, uh, we want to dive into how the Texans and the community, uh, how they're holding on down there uh, with, the, with the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey. Well, you know what? I'll, I'll actually do it in reverse from the way sure. you asked it. Sure. Um, what, I, I, obviously, if, you, if you're looking at the news, you know what's going on in Houston and really the, the surrounding counties and, and, and cities around Houston. You know, Harvey is... Harvey is a bigger monster and a and a and, and a grown a man that we never expected. It, it, no one saw this amount of water coming in that amount of time. Wow! Just for 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 from a stat to kind of wrap your head around things, the the state of Washington in Seattle we know is a pretty rainy place, right? Yes. Last year they had one of their highest, if not the highest amount of rainfall they've ever had, and it was right around 49 feet of rain. Mm. Well, we just did that in three days. Mm. That's how much rain is concentrated in a landmass that is equivalent to the state of Delaware. That's how big Houston and surrounding counties are. It's about the same size as Delaware. So that's what you got to kind of paint the picture around, understand just how much water is here. Now, the first day or two, which have been Friday and Saturday, when the storm hit, there were, you know, there were some tornadoes that came down, and there were a couple sections in neighborhoods that are less than five minutes away from me that had their roofs torn off by the, the quick dropping tornadoes. And a lot of people don't know that about, you know, tropical storms and hurricanes, it's there is a big constant flow, and it's a big monster that sweeps through and comes through. But inside of that, you have these tiny tornadoes that just come out of nowhere. They drop for 10 or 20 seconds, and they're right back out of there. And it's just long enough to cause in a small amount of area a ton of damage. Now, those houses obviously were done for. When a roof comes off of a house, that amount of water comes in. You're going to have pink insulation all over the house, and the house is ruined. But, a lot, but, but the damage that's happening here is because Houston is so flat, you can only run off and pump off so much water with so much speed. Mm-hmm. And the problem is when it continues to come and continues to come and continues to come, you fill up all your lakes, all your reservoirs, all your bayous, the dams are at capacity, and now what do you have to do? You actually have to continue to flow that water off no matter what's on the other side of what, you know, it, it, you have to flow the water off because mm-hmm. it's not the entire dam can give. If the dam gives, you have no control 
of where the water goes, at least if you run the water off and in that direction. Granted, yes, those people and those homes are going to flood, but those homes already usually have flooded because of the amount of water that has come in. And, again, you can control where it goes. It may not be what you want to happen. You, you, I, I can see the linebacker coming down the hole to meet me and hit me, but at least I can see him coming and I know he's going to hit me and I can brace myself for it as opposed to getting hit from the side of the head on a hit that I cannot see. And that is the difference between continuing to have to run the water off the dam and running the risk of the dam being at capacity and then it actually just giving way. So there is just so much happening and that has happened in the city. So then you go to the next step is now where there are, there are areas and there are pockets and there are people that are just fine. There are some people there, there are a lot of people that did not flood at all, but the people that did flood, how do you get them out of their homes? Because people aren't realizing we're talking, you know, we're not talking about two inches or three inches of water or water coming up on someone's home. No, no, there are blocks and neighborhoods, 500 homes, 1,000 homes at a click that have six, seven, eight feet of water in the house. Mm. There were sections of the freeway, and I mean Interstate 10 freeway, that you cannot tell where the center divider is because the water is so high across it that it's just a big lake. Like right. that's how much water people are dealing with, and the, and these folks in this town, it is amazing to see what neighbors have done for neighbors and what people are doing for people. On top of you know you know FEMA and the government and the politicians, you know Mayor Turner's been up there in front of the cameras in front of this thing like you wouldn't believe. You know most politicians go tuck their tails and go hide and kind of just wait for it all to come over, try to sneak in a photo op where, where the mayor of Houston has been out there, out in front, and he made, he, he probably made one of the smartest decisions that you will, that it will go down in history by not telling everyone to evacuate. This water came in so heavy and so fast that if we look at the stats of when it flooded, uh, back in, I want to say, 08, I believe that was Ike, or one before that was Rita. Uh, man, we, Houston's dealt with a lot of them, but I know there was one that we had to evacuate. I can't think of the name of it right now. We had to evacuate. And we left early. So we made it to, we went to Austin, and a normal two- to three-hour drive to get to Austin took us about four and a half hours. Where the people that left late, it took them between 15 and 20 hours to make a three-hour drive because the traffic was so bad and there were so many people trying to evacuate at one time. Well, those highways are the highways that I'm talking about that had 10 and 15 feet of water on the highway. What do you think happens to a highway or people that are on a highway that have 20 feet of water coming to the, to the freeway? Every one of those people die and drown. He made that call to say, stay, 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 as opposed to go, go, go. And it saved, it saved thousands of lives by doing that, which was, again, which was huge. But let's talk about the important stuff, and let's talk about the, the, the part of this deal where we're now talking about beginning to recover. And you, you're seeing that hashtag Houston Strong kind of flow throughout the city, and it holds water. 
I'm, I'm talking about regular citizens in their big boy trucks pulling shallow, shallow boats into areas and rescuing people left and right from these homes that have flooded and getting them to shelters just, I mean, like right along with, with FEMA, right along with the, the surrounding counties, right around, right along with the Army Corps of Engineers and everyone that's out there. They, they, there aren't enough boats, you know, just kind of stored away by the government. These are people's personal boats, sea dues, you name it. You saw regular sea citizens that are absolute heroes out there working to save lives of people that were in and dealing with this flood. And that was, if there was anything that kind of was the, the silver lining or reminder that in very trying times in the United States of America, that people, the best of humanity came out in people because of this storm and because of the hard times. And that's what just was, for me, just kind of floored, blew me away and just, I mean, yesterday we, you know, down at the back of the neighborhood. I live, I live in, I live next door to Siena, and Siena was a mandatory evacuation neighborhood. But I'm next to it, and I'm outside of the 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 distance from my house to where the main Brazos is. is far enough away that they're not worried about me flooding. So, I, right. so I didn't have to evacuate, and I was able to stay. And I've been very lucky and very blessed. I haven't had any flooding or. I've been very lucky. Nothing's gone wrong. We just have we've had we've had our food and we've been fine. We've had power. It's been a very lucky situation. But the next door, the, the, the neighborhood next to me, they're very worried about the levees that are in the back of the property. And yesterday, bet, yeah, re- regular citizens are all out there with trucks, shovels, sand, sandbags, and we're building a wall to help protect. The levy. It was unbelievable. I mean, and these are just regular old people that can get out of their homes. That I mean, kids. I mean, kids, when I say kids, I mean fifteen, sixteen, twenty-year-olds. You know, young kids riding up on their four-wheelers in the neighborhood. How can we help? And everybody jumps in the truck, and and that that's kind of the the response and the attitude. And just what's been so amazing out here. So, you know, these first responders, the people. I mean, just dealing with very, very trying times is beautiful to see the best come out of people and i just man oh man oh man it's it's, it's been crazy chester nick ferguson here now we've seen the pictures we've seen the images on on social media with uh the devastation and and the people helping uh one another It, it is great to see as an american that the city of houston is pretty much uh setting the tone especially in this uh interrelating times that we find ourselves in but I was I remember being there in Houston in 08 as a member of the Texans. And we we, ha- we had, I believe it was Ike that came through. And it was Ike. Okay, yeah, thank yeah. you, man. I'm, 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 yes. <laughs> so many of them. Yeah, so many. But, but we, Ike came through, but it was entirely different than what Harvey has brought in with the devastation. But there's still an element as far as being an NFL player in an NFL organization and trying to get back to – normal if we can say that at this time but you know talk to to me about how you dealt with it at that time in 08 and how this Houston Texans team now collectively are now trying to deal with that and get back to normal yeah no so I remember so I remember it was like and I remember kind of what went on during Ike and I 
I want to say it might have been the second or third week of the season. And, you know, I'm a, a California kid. I'd never, never dealt with anything like this before, and I didn't really know what was to come. But I knew that the storm hit and my roof held up, which I was very thankful and very happy about. And then I just remember trying to figure out what we were going to do for the game because, remember, the roof got torn up at the stadium. You know, here at the house, we were, you know, we didn't have power, and it was just trying to figure it all out. And then I remember when the league came down and they changed the week from the game week and they, and they made it the bye week. And I remember saying to myself, man, this is the worst <laughs> bye week in the history of bye weeks for this to happen during my bye week. But I, I remember just kind of the, the city coming together in the same way, but just as, as, as you know, preparing and, and knowing at the end of the day, we, we got a job to do, we got a responsibility to do. And there was one thing that was what was great about playing ball and playing football was not that it was more important or less important than anything else. It was just the fact that the value of the game and the value of sport helped create and further influence people to understand how quickly we could get back to normalcy, how quickly we could get back to things being like normal. And football was a fantastic conduit for that to happen. And that's really kind of the same thing that I expect from the Texans, you know, this go-round. I'm, I'm really happy for them that it's, you know, that it's happening the last week of the preseason as opposed to it happening during the season, you know, guys coming off a of training camp and the timing of it, you know, it's great for their bodies to heal up and get ready for a very long season. But ultimately it's, you know, it's, it, it's a, it's a job and we got a responsibility and we got, we get to go out there and we got to do our best. But it, it was just that, that, that one piece of it where it reminded what normalcy was and that was what, everyone was striving to get back to because with so much devastation going on around you, where, where do you flip the switch and say, okay, the bad is done. Now it's time for the good to happen again. Where do you trigger that switch? And, and sport and football was a great place for that switch to kind of take place. Uh, I can't imagine what you guys are going through, man. I, I feel like it's, it's, it's one of those things is that, you know, it, <laughs> Sometimes hard times bring you together, uh, and, and it's sad that it takes hard times for communities to really gel together. But uh, where I'm at, man, on the media, it sounds like Houston has been able to stand up in a big way and, and really rally behind each other. Uh, we talk about the Houston Texans. We talk about J.J. Watt and what he's been able to do as far as raising money. Has there been other people uh, on the team that have stepped out and tried to collect money uh, to help these people as well? Well, uh, you know, J.J. Watt's a uh... – a megastar and a superstar, and that's you know that's kind of the the way things work out sometimes. Where it it may be and only seems like it's one guy, but I have had multiple conversations with a lot of guys on the team who have who are volunteering, who are who are actually donating money themselves as well. Um, I know Whitney Merciless is doing some work. I know Jonathan Joseph, Kareem Jackson, Brian Cushing with the U.S. So I mean there have been I mean countless number of guys like the like the guys on the Houston Texans, and I don't mean this as disrespect to anybody else, but the players in general that play for the Texans have to 
squeak when they walk more so than the normal football player. That now, why that is, is that? Expected. What does that mean? That 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 is expected of the men that when when Bob McNair signs up a player on that team, like a checkered past and 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 a history of having whatever. Those are just kind of that's just not how he rolls. That's how he chooses not to have his player. He would rather have if you had two guys and one had a rating of 95 and one had a rating of 100, and the 95 squeaked and the 100 did not squeak, he's going to take the guy with the 95 just because of how he is. So that, that type of guy or that type of human being is what we expect from in this city and what we expect from, from the players, and that's exactly what we have gotten. And that's not to say that someone with a checker pass can't turn it around. That's not to say someone with a checker pass can't do right. You sound I'm like Nick. Just, 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 <laughs> just by nature or, or just by the, the, the history of that human being, that history plays a factor on becoming a Texan. And usually your history determines who you are as a, or as a big chunk of who you are. And, and, and frankly, because of that, the guys that are involved on this team, it does not surprise me how quickly they help. It does not quick does not surprise me how quickly they respond and how quickly they're willing to you know put their money out, to put their time out, to put their efforts out, just because that's the kind of guys that they were or have been you know all their lives. Well, well Chester, you you talk about expectations. Uh, last year, uh, the team you know nine and seven uh, get a chance to get in the playoffs, uh, lose to Kansas City. Uh, J.J. Watt suffering his back injury. But in that time, uh, Jadavian Clowney, who some consider to be a, a bust because he didn't really uh, show up and show out his first couple of years with the team, now he was able to get that extra time and really broadcast and show everyone, you know, he can actually play this game of football just like he did at South Carolina. But now with a healthy J.J. Watt, Jadavian Clowney, how good can this Houston Texans defense really be? Well, I mean, let's just, I mean, call it, you call it duck a duck. I mean, last year they were the number one defense in the NFL without the number one player on the defensive side of football playing with the team for the majority of the season. If the coaches figure out a way to bring J.J. Watt back into the fold of things, and obviously turn him loose because he's that capable of that quality of a player, but make sure that it's in sync with the way that defense is played and the way that defense is handled. I mean, the defense can be, it can be absolutely ridiculous. I mean, you, I'm, I'm telling you as a former offensive lineman, if I break the huddle and a healthy J.J. Watts on the field and a healthy Jadeveon Clowney is on the field and they're both playing on the D-line at the same time, we got to make a decision. Who are we going to double? And if we're going to double both of them, that now requires us to have a tight end that blocks. And if a tight end is in, if a tight end is blocking to assist or help with the offensive line, that's one less guy that's out there to go catch passes to go make plays. So that has a very limiting effect on the way an offense, you know, calls plays and figure, you know, figures out plays and tries to move the ball down the field. Chester, uh, I'm, I'm before, telling you, it could be tough living now. <laughs> <laughs> Chester, it sounds before, like it, <laughs> right? You make you make you causing nightmares on uh, on air. 
question. I before you got on, I looked you up, man, and uh, I was like, man, you know what's going on with Big Chester? Uh, talk about your time on an amazing race. How about that? <laughs> with E from uh, Salam, <laughs> right? Very look. I will. I will be as frank as I can be, but I'm gonna still be somewhat nice. Keep it 100. Uh, that would have been something that would have been amazingly fun and awesome to do before I was a washed-up NFL veteran. <laughs> <laughs> that show requires cartilage. It requires – Did you, cartilage wait, did you say cartilage? Cartilage that you no that longer have. What I was without trying to do that show, so I was in a great – Great deal of pain, and when I got eliminated on the inside, I smiled <laughs> because I'm going to go sit my big ass down because I don't know what in the hell I was thinking letting Ephraim talk me into attempting to try to do that crazy show. Like, what? look, if you look, you're 170 pounds and, and, and you young and sprightly and you, you healthy, man, I am telling you, we would have had a blast. Come on, Chester. That's not the Chester piss that I know. He doesn't quit. We'll post NFL career and do for a couple surgeries. Yeah, that probably wasn't the greatest timing on that one. I don't know. I don't know who the heck made that decision or said, "Let's go for this one." But no. But now I will tell you this: the cast, the crew, the behind the scenes. I'm talking excellent, wonderful people, very, very smart group. Did you know the guy that created that show was actually the guy that created Cops? Really? I did know that. Yes, I did. Yep. Yeah, he, yeah he, he was the guy. So if you now take a step back and you kind of close your eyes and you think about the way the show is filmed in Amazing Race, it's exactly how Cops was when it first started. And this guy's made a ton of money between <laughs> Cops and Amazing Race. So... No, but that, but yeah, I, I shouldn't have done that. Well, you know what? Okay, Chester Piss just kind of, you know, put cops and Amazing Race in the same sentence, and I have to go back and watch Amazing Race some episodes to see the filming to see if it's kind of re- resembles that of cops because all I remember, cops was in Miami a lot where I'm from, and all I remember is seeing the cops run with what appeared to be those cameras on their shoulders running around. That, that's that's my fondest memories of cops. Well, later, that, that's how it was in the beginning. But then he got smart and said, I need to send camera crews because the, the cameras, <laughs> like the body style, the body type cameras, they yeah. bounce around. They jar too much when you're running. So you need somebody that can actually run with a smoother click. Like they're running. Cops, cops aren't running to give you a good shot. Cops are running to go catch a criminal. Where a cameraman can film for TV running behind the cops because he's he's doing it with the emphasis on having a good shot for TV, and that's what they were the, they they mastered that and perfected that, and that's why the realism of Amazing Race is so high because it's in it. It's just the same path that everybody else is going, but obviously with a little bit more control and a cameraman with a fifty pound camera on his shoulder. It's crazy. <laughs> Justin, Bam. quickly, uh, before we let you go, uh, you you seem like a man with a, many talents and functions. Uh, talk about this instrument and what is it called that you still play? <laughs> <laughs> so, Give us some. 
You're talking about that oboe, huh? Yeah. Do you have it? Do, do you have it standing by? Can Can you kind of give wa- us a couple? Are of you chords? walking around Houston cheering up the people with the oboe? Hey, that will be funny if I'm talking. <laughs> Look, driving around town, put the top down and blasting sounds from the oboe. Um, oh, yeah, oh. no, that has uh, that that ship has sailed. You know, right, you know, my, my NFL career and my oboe playing abilities are on the same boat. Out on the island together because they're 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 they're, they're done. Um, well, explain to people was, what an oboe is and, was, and and characterize it. Well, I mean, I mean, the, the oboe it's a it's a member of the woodwind family. It's a double <laughs> reed instrument. It is on the uh, it's on the upper end of instruments and difficulty level to play and play well. Uh, it is not as Sexy and soulful as the <laughs> Spanish uh, guitar saxophone, right. and it's not as easy to play as your piccolos and your flutes. It's kind of an in betweener. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was actually the center. Do you remember? Do you remember the? Do you remember the commercial from the Super Bowl? Which one? Oh, so the two two thousand eight. Super Bowl, well, I was playing NFL that Super Ad. It was the actual NFL Super Ad. It was the, you know their commercial, their production, and that was when they went around the entire, went around to every single team, and you had to climb into the back of this big old trailer, and that trailer had a camera, and you told your story, and whatever your story yep. was, it didn't matter, but you you told a story about the NFL and the way where you got in the league, something that happened in the NFL, but it was just a, a cool story. That tied in you and or another buddy in the NFL, and it came down to my year. Came down between uh, well, it was actually Ephraim's story about me because he discovered me like you know like I was uh, hitting some hidden gold. You know, he discovered <laughs> me and back in groceries at the grocery store, and he convinced me to come out and play football. But we almost lost to. Matt Hasselbeck's story, and Matt Hasselbeck's story was pretty funny too. Um, you got, you got to go look at it. I, I know you guys will have enough time to talk about it on the air, but it was it was really cool. But if you type in uh, Chester Pitts and NFL Super Ad, you'll see quite frankly uh, one of the best commercials ever put together, and <laughs> top five top five NFL commercials by far. But until about in the history of commercials. This thing is like in the top ten. I'm just saying, well, not not because well, I'm in it, but because it was that great. <laughs> well, Chester, we thank you for coming on, man. I know me and Nick, uh, from the bottom of my heart, so we're praying for everybody down in Houston and everybody that's trying to give relief to all those families that are are flat out devastated by this. Um, we pray that the Texans, you know, they they rally back from them. They already kind of made a stand this season for the people of Houston, and uh, I know you would continue to fight and uh, try to get Houston back on its feet. So we thank you for coming on, and uh, we appreciate you. No, no, I, I appreciate you guys for coming on. I almost before I get out of here, I just got to give what, a nice shout out to the NFL Legends community and the former players of Houston who have also stepped up in a major way, making an impact in this town to help clean up, to help revitalize. Um, uh, there's, a, there's a chain of emails going on right now. Um, I think almost all the guys have checked in and said they were good, but a lot of guys are pitching in, helping uh, in the cleanup efforts right now. So 
the NFL Legends community, we got to give him a big shout-out as well. Awesome, man. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate you. Big Pitts! You guys have a great one. Bye-bye. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Let TuneIn bring you home. With TuneIn's local radio browse feature, listen to live FM and AM radio stations from your home area as if you've never left town. Spend the day listening to your favorite stations and hosts, local news and talk shows, and familiar voices that you've grown to love. Or maybe you're missing that morning drive show that gets you to the office. Your go-to hip-hop station with special guest DJs. Or maybe sports talk about your favorite team. Then catch your hometown favorites with local radio on TuneIn. With TuneIn, you can go home again. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Catch the show live weekdays from 4 to 7 Eastern Time. Hi, I'm Nick Ferguson, and to close out the podcast today, Willie Colon and myself discussed Tara Owens saying that he still can play and where he think he ranks among possible Hall of Fame candidates for the next year's class. There's a guy that you probably played against, I know you played against, uh, bigger than life personality. Uh, his name is Terrell Owens. Uh, he's a little perturbed that he's not playing right now. He's feeling like he's uh, he's being outed. And he also feels like he's being outed from the Hall of Fame, that he should be in. Uh, do you have any T.O. stories from him? Was he a guy that you had trouble with? And do you think he should be playing right now? Well, you know what? I played against uh, uh, Tara Owens for a couple uh, of years. And I'll start by saying this, Willie. Uh, should he be in the Hall of Fame? Yes, Absolutely. I, I think so. When I, uh, if you look at T.O.'s numbers, not to cut you off, I mean, he's, his numbers stand out for himself. And I'm, I get annoyed all the time when I hear when – I'm always in constant debate with football guys or who, who think they know football. Right. Uh, they're always quick to say, well, you know what, as long as he keeps jabbing at the journalists and the people who vote, who vote these guys in, he's got <laughs> nonsense. Your numbers speak for yourself. He is a guy who's put up big-time numbers, who played, who almost brought home a Super Bowl for the Philadelphia Eagles on a broken leg, by the way. So uh, let's let's be honest and really look at his resume. He should be in the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. When I think about that, and let's quickly spend some time on it, uh, that is what I would deem the revenge hour for those in the media who have Hall of Fame votes. True. The same thing happens in baseball. You know, some guy didn't give you a great interview or he wasn't great to you while you were trying to get an interview. That is their moment to seek revenge on that player. And to me, like you said, the numbers— So you you think guys have a hit list, huh? Absolutely. Why not? They're saying, look, you know, Willie Colon, when he was playing for the Jets and the Pittsburgh Steelers, I tried to ask him a question after a loss, and he just brushed me off. So guess what? He's nominated to go into the Hall of Fame. Guess what? This is my opportunity to dish some dirt back out to Willie Colon. For me, no, don't don't do that. Your job is to look at the player's body of work. If the body of work is there, then you put the guy in his rightful position because he earned that. And Ter Owens has definitely done that. But to say that he is somehow being kept out of the NFL, let's be totally honest. This is, like you said earlier, this is a young man's game. And Terrell has been out of the league uh, for some time. I think his last game was in 2010. Now we're in 2017. So the fact of saying, yes, uh, we've seen you work out and do abs in your driveway, right? So we know (laughs) that you're a guy that keep your, your body in shape. But the thing is, is there's one thing about you know, keeping your your body in shape and then being able to go out there and do what you want 
your body to do. We've all been in that situation. We all go through it, especially when we're in the twilight of our career. You know, mentally, we are there. We, are, we still feel as though we are those warriors and we can go out and do it. But when you go out and try to overexert your body, your body tells you, oh, hold on, playboy. You need to slow down. You right. need to rethink this strategy. So with that being said, I feel as though Terrell Owens wouldn't fare well because now you have these guys in the league now, big corners, they're hungry, they have quick feet, long arms, and it may be a little difficult for him to get off the line, you know, now than maybe, you know, 10 years ago. So for me, it's great for him to think that, heck, Willie, I still think that, and I'm sure you you do. I'm sure you probably – People see you and say, man, Willie, man, you look like you still can play. Say, I yeah, look. that's not a good thing for yes. me, though. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, I'm trying to get away from that one. Everybody loves what I'm doing, but they're like, man, they're like, you can still strap it up. I'm like, yeah, I'm not, though. That's the problem. Exactly. So we all look, you all know, have that look, but realistically we know that if we were to get out there, you know, we could pull something, and our bodies not are not going to be able to heal as quickly now at, our, at this stage of our lives as though it might have early on. So, listen, great to have that mentality, keep that warrior's attitude, but to me, I like to look at things as far as perception and reality. And right now, reality scale is not tipping in Terrell Orange's favor. Well, quickly, let's talk about the guys. We just had Kurt Warner on. Uh, he was inducted in the 2017 NFL Hall of Fame, along with Jason Taylor, uh, Morton Anderson, uh, Terrell Davis, uh, Kenny Easley, Jerry Jones. Uh, these are the guys that cracked the Hall of Fame this year. And let's talk about some predictions. And this year, uh, we brought up T.O. because this may be his year. Uh, he, this may be his chance to finally get in and, and kind of, you know, hopefully just shut him up, but it may not. But there's a couple other guys that may be joining him. And maybe uh, you tell me yay or nay on this one, uh, Nick, and, I, and I'll just throw some names at you. Uh, Ray Lewis, what do you think? Yes, Absolutely. Change, Without a doubt. Change the game, especially at the middle linebacker position. Absolutely. Alan Fanica, who was my role model, a mentor of me when I played for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I love the guy. I still talk to him to this day. He played for the Steelers, Jets, and Cardinals. Yay or nay? Absolutely. You can't play this game uh, without the guys in, in the trenches, for sure. So there's another guy who's uh, not – he was a great ball player when he was with the Buccaneers. Uh, but he was he's turning out to be maybe one of the best GMs and uh, guys in the front office in the NFL today. His name is John Lynch, safety. He played with the Denver Broncos, and he also played uh, with the Super Bowl. Uh, at the time, he won a Super Bowl with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yay and nay for John Lynch. Absolutely. John has been up a couple of times. I think John has been up uh, twice, and he's been uh, passed over. Uh, when, I, when I look at guys and whether they should go in the hall, it's like, well, did they change the game of football, especially at their position? And John definitely did that because he was an intimidating factor for the Tampa Bay you know, Buccaneers. And you, you ask any player uh, now you know, or, or any fan – you know, do you know of a guy by the name of John Lynch? And mm-hmm. I would dare to say they would say absolutely because he was that intimidating factor. Now, he Well, he, you talk about intimidating now. I'm not trying to cut you off here, but Brian Dawkins, a uh, guy who has not been in, but he was a menace. Uh, do you think he should go over John Lynch? Well, not over, not over John. No. Because, no, not over John because when you look at the model that 
Dawkins uh, has played under, it is kind of due in part to John Lynch. You had to figure that the Eagles, when they went out and drafted Dawkins out of Clemson, they were trying to find their version of a John Lynch, and they did find that. So to say that here's a guy that kind of set the mold for every other guy to follow, how can you go and leapfrog and go before him? Now, maybe he goes after John. I've never seen it where they've had two safeties. Uh, This past year, uh, we've seen two running backs go into the hall, but not two safeties. So to me, each guy deserves their moment in the sun. But John should go before Dawkins. Right, correct. I, you know, we started this conversation talking about T.O. Uh, and him possibly, you know, this may be the year he's he will crack the Hall of Fame, if you will. But there's a guy. I'm gonna throw his name out there, Randy Moss. Uh, Randy was big time. See, see, when you put <laughs> like when you talk about T.O. and Randy Moss, who would you rather ha- who who deserves to be in? Um, this is where I struggle because I because. I watched Randy even from his uh, Marshall days and in and, and Minnesota and on, and he obviously uh, refired up his career uh, when he was with the Pats and became a big-time threat for Brady. Uh, his numbers now, you talk about numbers, his numbers are up there right along with T.O. He was a big factor. He was a number one threat. He He's the reason now we say to the young kids, you've been mossed, if you will. So uh, when you say Randy Moss and T.O., who are you going with now? See, man, that that is a tough one because – with Randy being up, it, it could cancel out Terrell Owens, you know, because of the play mac- playmaking ability factor. And also what we talked about when we led into this conversation, the fact that, you know, Randy, both of these guys had their issues with the media, but maybe so more Terrell than Randy Moss. And Now talk it, about that for a second, because Randy now at this point, you know, I, like I said, I mentioned a little bit, he kind of – he kind of changed his career around when he went to the Pats. He's he's in the media now. He's kind of more of a likable guy that you don't see the antics or hear the baggage that you used to hear when he played. However, T.O. Uh, still, I mean, he's kept his nose clean for the most part. But you, you hear the most time you hear about him is when he's complaining about whether he's not playing or he's jabbing at journalists. With all that said, do you now put Randy in front of T.O.? Absolutely. I mean, you 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 just said it. I mean, you you you've been out of the game. The idea is to kind of keep your head down and try to use that time off to be kind to those individuals who you were not so kind to when you play. But and, should that player factor into what you've done throughout your career? No, it shouldn't. There's a lot of guys that are in the Hall of Famer aren't likable guys. It, 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 it should not. I mean, we know that uh, Michael Irvin, you know, he had his off-the-field issues, but when looking at whether he should go in the Hall, the, that wasn't taken into consideration, right? And it shouldn't affect Terrell Owens, but that's how some people are. They're seeking to take out that their revenge on him, and sometimes he's not helping it with some of his comments that he's made since being retired about certain people in the media. So the idea is don't say anything. I mean, Randy is not saying anything. Another thing that helps Randy is the fact that he is still finding a way to keep himself relevant because he's on a four-letter network, mm. and you see him his face all the time. And then you go back to when he was with the Patriots and they were, they were undefeated until they ran into the Giants, you know, he was a modest citizen at that time. True. Yeah. You know, the be- the best Randy Moss we had ever seen. So that is something that definitely helps Randy. And also, when we talk about pop culture and solidifying yourself in pop culture, 
I mean, Taro is known for one thing being, you know, hey, you know, give me the popcorn. I love me some meat. But when you talk about Randy, Randy, I mean, kids now, even now, saying, oh, you were mossed. I mean, that, that's iconic. <laughs> right. I, that, that might be, that might be, and I have to check. I don't know. That could be in Webster's Dictionary, right? It should be. Quickly, right. I'm going to throw three names at you. Stay with me. Uh, Tory Holt, Heinz Ward, Isaac Bruce. Wow. Give it to me. Wow. You're three. Only one can go in. Who do you pick out of the three? And you know tell what? me why. Well, I'm going to go with uh, Tory Holt because. Is that right? The reason I'm going with Holt, Isaac Bruce was a great quarterback in his, I mean, wide receiver in his own right, but. Kurt Warner and the Rams don't win the Super Bowl unless Torrey Holt is able to pin the ball against his face mask for the touchdown, mm. right? So so with that, that just kind of throws him a notch above, you know, Isaac Bruce. And and Heinz Ward, great, great wide receiver, uh, wasn't a blazer, great – I would call him a possession receiver and did exactly everything that the Pittsburgh Steelers wanted him to do but but when you start talking for me, when you start talking about those iconic names, I mean, the bob and weave, man. I mean, come <laughs> on, man. We're, we're talking about pop culture and something that is iconic, and you can't get any more iconic than the bob and weave. I'm gonna throw one more one more at you, and you could only pick one, uh, two. Two offensive linemen who I loved, and I, I loved everything about their games, and, and they kind of propelled me uh, to really respect the, the position. The great Tony Baselli and Steve Hutchinson. Only one can go in. Who you got? I'm going to go with Tony Baselli. Really? Tony used to mash on guys. And when you when, when you see, because as as an offensive line, you know this. When you when you chart plays and you go back in the meetings, you're looking for okay, well, did he stone a guy? And then we also looking for finishes finishing moves and pancakes. And Tony used to smash on guys and finish guys on the edge. That, to me, you know, when you look at a, a elite guys who play outside at the tackle position, yep. you talk about certain things, having feet that punch and being able to force a, a pass rusher to stop and start. Tony was one of the best in the league at doing that. So so just because of that, and I watched him do it to guys on my team, I'm going to go with Tony. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. Tune in your everything audio app.